Hi, I'm Dr. Matt Murphy. Uh, we are Jack Theology. Welcome to the show. Good to see you, man. It's uh, it's good to be back with you again for for another week of, of what, whatever it is that we, I guess, are, are gonna gonna decide to talk about today. There's there's a lot going on. Yeah, uh, it's been crazy. Before we dive into that, I just want to remind people uh, we have now our podcast up on all the different venues you can platforms you can listen to podcasts or even view podcasts so we're on youtube we're on facebook we stream to twitter we so you can catch those videos after the show as well on those platforms but then we're on i know we're on spotify and the apple podcast i'm not sure if, if google the google one is up yet um but it will be at some point soon so if you want to listen to those uh, via those, uh, feel free. Uh, you know, like, subscribe, share, uh, all the things that you do. You could comment. Comments help as well. The old algorithm get the word out. Yeah, we appreciate it. Get the word out. So, thank you for those that do interact and listen. We appreciate you. We actually this week's been encouraging. A lot of folks have reached out. I think probably because of the topic we we addressed last week, kind of brings more eyes and ears to the conversation around the LGBTQI community. And uh, I had a lot of encouraging texts um, and comments. And so thank you. Uh, hopefully we can continue that. And today kind of, it's kind of piggybacking on that. Like, I feel like the discussions that we, we have taken kind of all blend together in some level. And so this week, there, there has been a lot about this idea. Like Kevin and I both have pronouns in our bio on Twitter. Triggers, triggers and, a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah. And so we've been told that we are unloving, that we are mean uh, for for doing that. Still haven't heard a, any argument uh, of how that is. But then what the argument that we, we I do hear a lot is that uh, Jesus was about uh, making people feel uncomfortable. He I don't know if they've used this word, but I, I think I think maybe Megan Basham used it, that it's OK to be be mean or to, to seem like you're mean and to come across as 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 rude or, or whatever, however she phrased it, um, as long as I'm telling the truth in her mind. Right. So I think that's it. There's this idea of speaking the truth uh, to people kind of trumps loving them. Although that Bible verse actually says, speak the truth in love. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you, you hit right on it. There is this, I, I feel like there has been this shift in Christian culture from the general idea of speaking truth in love to this shift where speaking truth is love and it's that one that in and is you know we used to say we speak truth in love which implies we speak truth in loving ways but now i feel like where we are is this mentality that speaking truth is love and so i can just speak truth it doesn't matter how i say it but that's that's love and i i, I don't know how i feel about it yeah I, there was a there was a comment made by one of uh, big leaders out there in this in this very conservative you know conservative movement uh, that said someone doesn't have to feel love to be loved and I and I thought about that for a minute I was like is that true and 
And I, I was like, no, it's not true. Because even if like my, my kids, I was thinking about like when my, I'm disciplining my kids, I guess they don't always probably in that moment feel the love from dad. But overall, they they feel love from dad, like because I'm in relationship with him. So it was like heavy discipline cases where the kids might be mad at me and and that sort of thing. Uh, there there is still a feeling of love that dad loves me. He cares for me. They know that even in their anger um, because the relationship is formed. So I think uh, us bashing people on the internet because their lifestyle disagree we disagree with their lifestyle and being mean to them is not very loving or, or caring because we have no relationship with them so they're not feeling any sort of love from us and they then will just you know put us all together as christians you know hate us um and that's a real feeling that that that's not loving um yeah it doesn't pass the smell test to say yeah. that um we can whether or not you feel the love the way I treat you is is love it just it, rules without relationship is toxic it, it's unproductive it's it's certainly not in my opinion any I, I don't feel like we see Christ no. anywhere in that mentality and, and so if you want to get across a truth what you feel as a truth uh, you have to do it in a loving way, right? If you have no relationship, you've got to be charitable. You've got to, you can't just come across as this evil, mean person, right? And so then the then the argument kind of against that is, well, Jesus did it to the Pharisees. Um, and so they quote Matthew chapter 23, um, the seven woes. Yeah, what is it? The whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. Jesus flipping yeah. tables, like, you know, they, they go to, and I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, devil's advocate, Matt, it's, it, what do you do with those passages though? I mean, because you do kind of in some ways have this dual, I mean, Jesus gets angry. Uh, so what, what, yeah, what, 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 I mean, what do you so do? I did a little research on this, uh, you know, dove into the text a bit. So you cannot look at Matthew 23, the seven woes, without looking at the Beatitudes. Like, you can't have one without the other. So if you just want to give the seven woes, then you've got to also look at the Beatitudes and the Ten Commandments, really, to love and to be about people and the least of these and those that are meek and down and out. Um, so that's the first place I would start. So, all right, if you want to seven woe somebody, you also need to ten beatitude somebody uh, at the same time. And if you look at the woes, right? Um, let's let's read one in Matthew twenty three, verse twenty three. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter without neglect, without neglecting the former. Or you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So Jesus isn't talking to uh, somebody's lifestyle. He's talking to these hypocrites, these leaders who demand 
10% from people, but don't care, don't actually love people <laughs> are not about justice or not about mercy or, you know, for people. Um, and then the whitewashed tombs is the same thing. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead and everything is unclean. Like, so there's this outward presentation that Jesus is calling out in these seven woes. Um, he actually is calling them to live like Matthew five, the beatitudes. That's what Jesus is mad about. So like if the seven woes were meant for anybody, it's for the Megan Bashams of the world who are just bashing people, uh, because of how they, how they live. Uh, and, and, and a, a gay person, if they're, if they come out as gay and they're living that lifestyle, they're not hiding what's inside, right? They are who they are. Like they're the opposite of what Jesus is coming against here in Matthew 23. So to use the seven woes as an example from that side of it to, to hate, hate and be mean to those in, in the LGBTQI community is, is actually a poor reading of the text. Um, so. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody who has ever been truthed into a relationship. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're, we're loved into relationships. We're loved in the community. We're loved into um, communion with God. I, I, I don't know of anyone who has been shouted into the kingdom of God, who's been truthed into the kingdom of God. A truth without relationship feels like hate. And, um, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, like, can you, can you truly look, Let's be honest. Are they li- really loving the sinner while they hate the sin? Uh, and do we say I, that about anything else other than homosexuality? No. I, I mean, does, does anybody ever say love the sinner, hate the sin about any other topic than the LGBTQI? No. Growing up, that was a line they gave us. Like, I was, you know, part of this world, Christian school, Baptist school, and that was a line. Well, we need to, to love the sinner, hate the sin, but... In reality, we hated the sinner and the sin. More, more so, probably the the sinner, because that because that was the identity we gave them, right? We gave that was the they are this, they are sinners, and they're going to hell. Um, we need to tell them that. I feel like in Christianity, we uh, maybe this is just in life, Matt. I feel like in Christianity, we have to have a villain. Mm. You know, and and oftentimes, you, you know, I think maybe if we were to give a Sunday school answer to the question, who's the villain? Um, it would be it would be the devil, you know, the guy with the pitchfork and, and the horns. But but I don't I don't think in, in reality and in practice that really plays itself out. You can't you can't really have a villain that is not tangible, that's not physical, that's not something that you can interact with. And so what happens is, is we identify certain classes of people. We have identified certain classes of things that we deem as sin and we turn, we turn that into the villain. And, uh, I, I think the fairest reading of scripture, especially the new Testament, 
uh, in Jesus indicates if if they can bleed, if they bleed, they're they're not they're not the villain. You're the villain. I'm the villain. <laughs> you know the whole log in the eye thing. You know, yeah. you know, don't don't go pointing out other people's sins. You know, look, look on your own house. Galatians, um, Galatians five. I I think it is. You know, first first like three versions uh, verses of Galatians five. You know, just if, if if you need a villain, God says it's you. I'm, yeah, I'm the, I'm the villain. That's a good point. That is a very good point. And so, you know, I feel like what we do, though, is in order to avoid seeing ourselves as being the bad guy in the story, um, we have to identify somebody else who is worse than us in order to deflect our own attention away from us onto other things. And, and this is what I see Jesus railing against in, in those verses that, that you have, that, that, that you pointed out. Um is people who, who, who were turning the attention and making other people the villain when they themselves were, were doing the most damage. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I agree with that. It's about looking introspectively. It's not about pointing the finger at everyone else. Yeah, I like that. Um, but I think to try to justify your own hate like when I when I see like scriptures like this, like it, I don't think Jesus is calling us to like give people seven woes, right? I think, uh, however you read those texts, Jesus never says go go yell at people, right? He says go love people. Yeah, I had a guy this week say, uh, Jesus said go and sin no more. You know, that's what we're doing. We're just saying go and sin no more. I'm like, you realize John eight is not authentic to the scripture, right? Like you realize Jesus, Jesus didn't say go and sin no more. Like that text is not in there. Uh, and then he said, well, you know, I, he said, I've, I've called, I've called the world to repentance. I'm like, who's the I in that text? He's like, uh, Jesus, God. Like, so you're putting yourself in there. You're, Jesus said, I am calling the world. He didn't say you are, or you're to do that. He said, well, what about Nathan? When Nathan confronted, Nathan confronted David, I'm like, okay. So God tells a specific person to confront a specific king with a specific sin for a specific reason. Like, so you're saying that means that you get to be Nathan in, in all these, and Nathan wasn't always confronting David's and Nathan did it once over, over yeah. one thing that God said, go do this. And Nathan's like, really? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Like I, d- yeah. we're not, yeah. we're not, we're not God. We're not like, why do we need the Holy spirit? If, well, if, if, yeah. if we're the ones who are the God conscience in the world, why, why do we even have a Holy Spirit theology where, 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 where the point is, is that God lives within and sanctifies and transforms the heart? Yeah. And why are we ignoring, you know, everything Jesus actually called us to do for one moment when really in reality, if you look at the seven woes, like it's probably for all of us, right? At, I, I know for me at, at some point I've been a hypocrite where I've been about, you know, putting on a front and what's going on inside. It does not match what's going on on the outside. Like, so like 
I tend to look at those passages to introspect and meditate. Where do I need to repent? Not like let's woefully throw this into somebody's face and give us permission to be mean to them and be a jerk and be unloving. Um, but then also you brought up a good point that I want to highlight is we tend to humans naturally read the Bible with ourselves as the hero of the story, right? Right. We're, we're, we never see ourselves as the negative person, whoever the negative person is in the story in the scriptures. We tend to read ourselves into it as the hero or the one, uh, the central character in the story. Like what we're never it? the. Was it Matt Chandler that said you're you're not David? Like in the in the David and Goliath yeah. story, he's like you're yeah. not, you're not the David. Like you're not the hero in the story. That fat yeah. Man. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Like we we aren't. Um, um, so we're, we're the ones that need. We we are the one that needs saving. You know, we're the one that needs help. So we want to be the hero. Um, to me, I guess that communicates a level of maturity. It takes a level of maturity to see that we're not the hero and that the seven woes aren't something that we're speaking to other people, but are something that, that we should be speaking to ourselves that takes maturity. And if that is the case, Matt, there aren't a lot of mature Christians. I'm not even sure I'm a mature Christian. <laughs> I mean, you know, thinking through that, uh, it, that's a that's a level of uh, Christianity of of self awareness, I guess. That is not easily attained, or at least doesn't yeah. seem to be. Doesn't or maybe there's not a desire. Maybe I should frame that differently. Maybe maybe there doesn't seem to be a great desire right now in American Christianity to speak truth to ourselves. We'd just much rather speak woes to others. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it gives us a level of comfort, like, okay, then I'm okay if they're not okay. So we point the finger. It, it's really about us, not about them. You know, people are pointing the finger at these folks they deem as unre, you know, unredemptive. It, it's really about them and their own need for validation, right? It, so there's this idea. It's a very American competitive idea that some people have to be in and some people have to be out. Like that's the way it's been our entire foundation. I mean, we just had the Columbus day slash indigenous people day, right? Depending, like, on, which side of, depending on which side of the ideological fence you're on, right? Yeah. And so like you is have, Columbus, you though, have, I mean, is there any better metaphor? Is there any better symbol or semiotic for this whole discussion though, than Columbus, is he the hero or is he the zero? Uh, and I think so many of us who are pronouncing, well, I, I just, I, I think Columbus is a great metaphor for, for where we are when it comes to truth. I'm going to reject all of the bad things that I did in order to I, just, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right it's 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 a great parallel it's our founding story of you know who's in who's out so obviously they're out right um the indigenous people we made sure of that as a white you know christian nationalist i mean 
I guess you could say in some sense, you know, white Christian nationalism has been a part of America for since its founding. Um, you know, we, we, we feign like separation of church and state. We feign, you know, religious freedom. But what we really mean is that let that the Christians can do whatever they want and no one else can. Um, and I, I should say white Christians can do whatever they want. Um, Maybe this, I, I don't, I won't pretend to speak for other religions, but I think in Christianity, adherents to Christianity have by and large always been willing to leverage God to get what they wanted, whether it was what God wanted or not. And I think, you know, as you say in the origin story and, and throughout the history of America, us being founded as a Christian nation has been a line that's been used to commit all kinds of ungodly evil. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's used to justify many things. Um, I, I have some friends in the military and it, I've asked them, you know, how, how they feel about killing people. I had one friend who literally flew drones from United States and blew up villages and convoys and the Middle East and and he quoted Bible verses to me about sending people to their maker and being God's vessel to send their judgment seat and it just was like whoa and I'm sure he just didn't come up with that on his own I'm sure he was like that was a part of a motivational speech you know that they're that's in the culture so like these like we use the Bible, we use Christianity to justify a lot of evil actions in our society. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. This is why I think it's so important that we always return back to the example lived out of Jesus, because there is so much in scripture when you look at the Old Testament um, and the atrocities and genocide that happens in the Old Testament, whenever you read Paul and we've all seen how Paul has been taken um, to, to create wildly uh, crazy abusive and toxic situations slavery you know is, is one easy example of that how you know Paul's words you know were used at one time by Christianity to justify slavery it's why I think it is important for us to always filter even our Christian biblical theology through the lens of how Jesus lived out his faith. Because I, I think that um, it's, it's, it's the final and most important filter. Yeah, you know, can you use the Bible to justify, um, maybe out of context, maybe not, how your friend justified um, the, the things that he did you know, as, a, as a part of his role in the military? I think, yeah, you, you choose a few verses, you can, but when you get to the filter of Jesus, you're going to have a lot more difficult time ethically or morally justifying some of those things if you've got to run it through Jesus too. Yeah. I mean, Jesus actually shows us a better way, right? He, he ends violence. I mean, I, 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 I think that we, that's a huge thing we miss in this country in the area of the scriptures is Jesus came to end violence once and for all through his sacrifice that no longer is sacrifice needed. That no longer is this appropriate. I'm ending it once and for all. Right. 
that we lay down our lives for others, that we live a life of nonviolence. He call he does not call his disciples to arms, right? He actually tells Peter to put away his sword. And in the other passages that use is, well, Jesus made a whip of cords. Well, when Jesus turned over to, well, first of all, Jesus never used the whip of cords on any person. I mean, the, the clear text says Jesus took the whip of cords to the donkeys and the cattle. So the clear readers could read it clearly that that's what he used it for. And, you know, he is clear in the temple for a very spiritual reason, obviously, that this is not the place to uh, to run a business and to 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 abuse people who have nothing and, and take advantage of them. Yeah, he was running off people who were standing in between those who wanted to worship God. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, people who were standing in the way uh, financially. But he's also making this broader point that the sacrificial system is over. I am ending it. All of this is done, right? That I'm setting up a new a new kingdom, a new temple. Uh, you know, he says he's going to tear his temple down and, and rebuild it in three days. What he's re you know he's referring to himself. He is where you, the temple. where you don't have to go through religious people and religious yeah. systems to get to God, and yet we here yeah. are saying no. You got to go through us to get to God. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, if you don't if you don't speak truth to them, if if you don't tell them where they're wrong, they're never going to get to God. Well, they're not going through you to get to God, and they certainly aren't now that you're treating them like an ass. No, it, yeah, they're, you lose all ability. Like if that's what you think, how how unloving is it that you are? talking to them in such a way that you're driving them away where you never you'll never have impact for them yeah it doesn't i mean you're right it doesn't even make it doesn't even make logical sense okay it, what's the end goal here okay if the end goal is for people to come into relationship with god how the heck do you think that the thing the way you're treating people the things that you're saying condemnation Condemnation is not going to result in that you're pushing people further away from God. So your goal isn't your goal. Your goal is not for people to come to God or to no. come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So what 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 is your true goal? Because it's not that. No, it's not. It it, it doesn't sm pass the smell test. Probably for even most of them. I would think is they, you have to think about that logically. Like I thought, wait, I thought we wanted to win these people to Christ. We wanted to save people from hell, but yeah, I don't think they do. I, I don't, I, I really don't think they do. I, I don't think they, there was a tweet the other day. Um, gay people will not be in the kingdom of God. Um, yeah. That is a tell that says, I don't want to be in the kingdom of God with gay people. That's not that's not a theological statement. That is a personal preference statement. And I think that at the end of the day, this is what what is happening here is our goal is not to um, our goal is not to bring people to God. Our goal is to keep the people that we don't want in the kingdom away from God. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, that, I guess, leads to the anti-semitism right that um jewish people are out you which know, it, what, how are we still dealing with anti-semitism how is this even 
Yeah. I, and it's it's on it's either on the rise or at least the visibility is on the rise. Uh, either way, it's deployable. You had Kanye West this week make anti-Semitic comments. You know, it's which are championed by the religious leaders and, eat, and thinkers. Yeah, and these folks love it. They eat it up. They like are go Kanye. You know. It's like, whoa. And it especially, like, they showed all their cards because Kanye also wore a shirt that said White Lives Matter. And they all were like, yay! Like, if that doesn't reek of, like, we we are about white power and whiteness being, influ- you know, expanded into this into our world, I don't know what else says it. Because they weren't saying that about Black Lives Matter. But as soon as the White Lives Matter shirt's on, on Kanye, they're, woohoo! I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I wanted to say uh, Samuel Perry released some data, some research this week on, on the Twitter that I forget what the percentage is. I have to bring it up. But that you're way more likely to be racist as a white uh, Christian nationalist than when you're not. So like his point was Christian nationalism actually breeds racism. And I think the Kanye wearing the White Lives Matter thing was like clear as day of how it is about expanding white power. It's not about. So the more you think we should be a Christian nation run by Christian law, the more racist statistically you are. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. Why? Oh, I, I, another Samuel Perry, I love Samuel Perry. Another Samuel Perry point is their theology is dictated by a political platform. It's not dictated by the scriptures. Okay. So it's not really Christianity. No. Whenever we talk about Christian nationalism and whenever Christians say we want to be a Christian nation, they, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. People who say we need to be a Christian nation, we need to be, you know, a nation whose God is the God of the Bible. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say in their minds, they believe they know what that means, like what those laws look like and what that nation looks like. But at the end of the day, what they want and what they think is a Christian nation is not truly biblical. Is that, I guess, what yeah. what no, that's saying? It. I think that's it. It's and it's, yeah. I don't think. Well, I don't think by and large, like the vast majority of people following this, as a you know, want to be a Christian nationalist, sit down and think, well, I have to listen to the Republican Party over the Bible. I, I don't think that's true. I think people think they're genuinely getting this from the Bible. But then when but then when you bring up things like you know, the immigration issue, the migrant issue, right? <clears throat> and you ignore what Jesus says about the immigrant, the migrant, the stranger. <clears throat> excuse me. Um and you're you're purely uh, on the Republican platform saying that as, as as scriptural and then you show them a bunch of scripture that like there, you can't find any scripture verse to support the Republican platform on that issue. And and when they, they are staunch that it's biblical, that's when it's like, whoa, like <clears throat> you've clearly been influenced by an outside source, not the Bible here. 
um, the fact that you can't even distance yourself from one issue politically from from the conservative party. Yeah, I mean, we're being discipled yeah. by Tucker Carlson. We're being discipled by Fox News. You know, we're being discipled by CNN. You know, we're being discipled by Newsmax, you know, by the Wall Street Journal and, and the Washington Post. We're not being discipled by Christ. Um, and Alex Jones, right? Or is that his name, Jones? Yeah, Alex Jones, Sandy Hook, uh, conspiracy like, theorist. They're all like seeing him as a martyr now, you know? Oh, the liberal left got him. Like, he... You know, he's the first martyr for like, that's insane to me. Yeah, I think um, insanity is (laughs) insanity. Yeah, insanity is the right word for for what we're for, what you know, and insanity in politics, insanity in the nation. I think it's to be expected. It's it's life but insanity in the church and how the church has aligned itself with the insanity in in these other arenas and wholesale given <clears throat> given our hearts to things that are that are not of God and to the pursuit of things that are not of the heart of God is shocking to me you know, when it, just the one issue that you just brought up, immigration, the fact that you can't have a conversation about immigration, about refugees, about people who are in harm's way without many Christians not even being willing to have a conversation about the physical needs of individuals. Maybe not every immigrant, maybe not every refugee, but if there are some, you can't even have the conversation because... There's so much borders. There's so much illegal talk. There's so much uh, discussion uh, uh, about crime. Uh, and just Jesus. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus himself was was a refugee. You know, the Lord and Savior whom you pray to, the brown man <laughs> on the on the other side of the phone call in prayer, was himself uh, a refugee. And the fact that we cannot many of us as Christians even have a conversation um, about other human beings who are in harm's way and who are in need because our politics and our fears will not allow it is completely anathema to the teachings of Jesus Christ, completely anathema to the Beatitudes um, that you said we're, I love the way you framed it, we're living in the woes, we're not living in the Beatitudes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We get accused of not being a Christian because we don't agree with the Republican platform. Well, if you define Christianity as being Republican, I guess maybe that's. Well, yeah, but that's a scary proposition because now you're drawing a line in the sand between a preferred, a preferred way of governing over and above scripture, what Jesus calls us to do. Um, so anybody that doesn't fall in line with that, which is what we're seeing, like is going to hell. And so what happens over time is like, there's the end group with, with Christian nationals and there's the out group. And what happens with the out group? Let's look to Putin, right? The out group gets put in prison or gets killed or, you know, 
the people run for their lives because they're in the out group. And he does this all in the name of Jesus, right? Like he does this in the name of God. He, he, he is a Christian nationalist. And if, and, and Christian nationalists love Putin's speeches. They love, they love Putin. Um, they think he's a man's man, right? He, he is, he's not effeminate. No, they love him, which is, scary because <laughs> that's what they want and uh yeah i don't know i I, I think no i think the, the the point is well taken at some point we have to hit pause and take stock of our own selves and say if i'm at the place where my um my leaders my heroes those people that I look up to are saying dictators who wage war in the ways that Vladimir Putin does. If guys like Alex Jones, who say things like he said about Sandy Hook, if these guys are the people who are, are the heroes, if these guys are the ones who, who I'm supposed to fall in line with, and uh, agree with what they're doing and what they're saying. I think I, at some point, when, when do you step back and say, what have I constructed around myself as being Christianity? And is this really Christianity? Is Alex Jones a reflection in any way of Jesus Christ? Is Vladimir Putin in any way a reflection of Jesus Christ? Are these people who spread hate and mockery and division, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Donald Trump, you know, grab her by the... Is this in any way reflective of Jesus Christ? And you may look at one thing Alex Jones does, one thing Putin does, one thing Marjorie Taylor Greene or Trump does, and says, well, they do this. You know, on this issue, they vote in this way. Or on this topic, they have this stand. Okay, so you're going to, out of a hundred different things that are who they are, you're going to look at one thing and accept all of it because of that one thing, point to me in scripture where Jesus point to your <laughs> at, at that point you're the person who Jesus is yelling at that you count the mint cumin and dill and ignore the, 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 the greater aspects and the more important aspects of the law you know you, you look at the way they vote on abortion and you ignore the other thousand things about them that are not only not in alignment, but are antithetical to Jesus Christ. And it's not, when do you, when do you at some point step back and say, this has to stop? This isn't, this isn't in any way, shape or form Christianity. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question then would be, how did how did we do that? Like, because I think we both of us have you know grew up in the, those environments. Probably, I know I espoused a lot of those things myself. Preached them even. Um, was passionate about them at one time. Like, what led us to reflect upon those inconsistencies? What led us to 
you know, deconstruct and kind of reconstruct into where we are? What are, what are some of the things that maybe kind of brought light to you? It's a really good question. I, um, I, I actually think the LGBTQ issue was a large part of my beginning to question whether or not I was a Christian or a Republican. And, and those two things don't mean the same thing. Um, and whenever I, I was going to say forced myself into relationship with um, some people who were gay, but I think I'm going to say I allowed myself to be in relationship with, with a few individuals who I, who I knew well, um, who came out and I, and I didn't cut them off. You know, I, I didn't, um, I didn't preach woes to them. I simply allowed <laughs> us to continue to be in relationship. And, and I think, you know, to our discussion about the difference between speaking truth in love and speaking truth is love. Um, I think that that was, that was the beginning of it for me was, was beginning to, to allow myself to just simply be in community with people whom my religion found disagreeable. And I found it wasn't my religion that found them disagreeable. I, I, I learned it was, it was other things. It was, it was my politics. It was my fears. It was my upbringing. It was my racism. It was my bigotry. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to come to the same conclusions I did when, when we do that. But I don't think that there's any way for us to get off the roller coaster ride to hell. <laughs> that is the one that the religious leaders were, were on in Jesus day without um, surrounding ourselves like wow. Jesus did with prostitutes, tax collectors, and other disreputable centers, people whom the establishment says are uh, people you don't, you don't be in community with. Jesus said, no, I'm going to be in community with these people. Um, not because they're, not because I agree with them, but just because I'm going to be in community with them. And I think when I did that, I learned... I learned the difference between my politics and my racism and my bigotry and my Christianity. Hmm. Good. I don't know. What, what was it for you? Uh, there's, there's a couple things as, as you were talking, I was kind of remembering like different handles. I, I remember, um, racism was, was, was a big part of it. So I grew up in a very white environment you know, a few black friends and I was probably it. I, you know, and, and I wasn't taught like to be sensitive to races, racial issues at all. And I feel bad because looking back and even how I spoke to my black friends that I played basketball with <laughs> was very racist. And fortunately they have forgiven me uh, since, but I, I came out here actually to the Northeast and uh, went to a seminary that was very diverse. I was around people from all over the world and it, it, that really like, I, I couldn't believe that I never heard the story. I never, you know, that like basically I, the kind of the whitewashing of the American story uh, kind of was a big piece. And so when I go back home, like what I was, 
I, I felt like a fish out of water over time. Like I felt like a, you know, a sore thumb, like the way I was beginning to view the world because I got to know people that weren't white at a deep relational level, didn't vi- jive with how my friends and family acted and, and talked. So that was a big piece is obviously we're called to love and we didn't learn to even love non-white people. And then the whole, the second piece was the whole abortion debate, right? Like we were the people of life and we were, we were pro-life, which is, which is great. We're, I, I'm about life, but that I couldn't see the illogic in, in we didn't, once they were born, we could care less about life, right? We could care less about those in welfare, those struggling in the inner cities, those in poverty, extreme poverty. We, we could care less about them. We could care less about the immigrant, which we spoke about some today. And so that illogic just really angered me. Like, I, I can't believe that you would be about life in the womb, but not life outside the womb. Like, to me, that just rocked my world, right? And then the third piece was as um, um, the, the, you know, the, the gay, the gay and lesbian issues was another one. One of my friends that I worked with in, in a ministry, you know, came out, well, we caught him and another man in the, in the band, Saint, our praise band together. Um, and we had to go, th- we put him through church discipline and actually watching how our church put him through church discipline was like, to me, that was, like you described, like, kind of eye-opening like how whoa this doesn't seem right um and so i'll begin to explore those things and then i think the final straw was like honestly when we were in uh, our doctoral program so th- those three kind of handles for me were always in the back of my mind and, and were stirring and i was like trying to process them and then when len sweet like showed us bible verses like literally plain and clear bible verses that i had never been shown before or, or told about before like it was over for me I was like are you kidding me like these were completely avoided in my life up until now I had to go get my doctorate before someone actually showed me these bible verses existed and um, so then I was like alright who is Jesus really and so I started to do my own study on Jesus and, and how he would interact in these three areas specifically and it kind of led me to a, I like to call it a reconstruction process. I think, um, I, I found myself reconstructing around Jesus, um, as I kind of deconstructed different things, uh, that I had been taught growing up or even not necessarily taught from a pulpit or anything, but just taught through how people live. Um, I began to reconstruct that around Jesus. So I, I think, you know, for people that are out there that feel the same sense of, illogic same sense of frustration that we we felt i think it's important for you to kind of own it yourself like so you know have conversations with guys like kevin and i you know process things and be honest like i I think if i could say anything to anybody kind of going through this process is just to be honest with where you're at like yeah i said some did some racist things or yeah i was a bigot like just be honest about it (laughs) and then kind of the process that with somebody that can help you work through it and kind of, you know, identify growth areas for yourself. Um, Cause Definitely. I bet you, 
go ahead, go for it. Well, I was just, I, in your story, and I think in mine as well, one of the things that I noticed was an unwillingness. It's, we, we both came to a point where we were unwilling to continue to push down the questions that we had. We were, we were willing to confront the questions and the concerns and the difficulties that we had no matter what the outcomes might be, you know, there was like this tipping point, I think in, in me and it sounded like there was in you as well, where I had all these questions, but I feared what I might find. And so I just kind of ignored them and pushed them away and doubled down on the rhetoric, you know, on my beliefs. No, I believe this. You're wrong. I believe this. The Bible says this, you're wrong. But in the back of my mind, there were some questions like, what if, what if I'm wrong? Like, I'm not, but what if I am? And there came this tipping point where I finally decided it's more important to me to know the answer to this question, even if, um, even if the answer is, is one that I don't know what to do with or I don't like. And I, I guess I got there because I'm like, well, I can keep it to myself. <laughs> I could continue to say one thing and believe another, but I really want to get, I really want to know, uh, I, re- I, I need to know the answer to this question. I need to, I, yeah. I really need to know. And I think maybe that for many people is, is the tipping point where we wake up one day when we're supporting everything that Donald Trump does and says, we're supporting guys like Alex Jones, you know, we're, <laughs> we're on the side of a of, of a, a a nearly or, or what could be a Hitler level dictator in Vladimir Putin, where we wake up one day and we say, you know, maybe I need to answer some questions before I go any further down this road. And uh, yeah, the 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 decision to not avoid the questions anymore and concerns that you have, I think, is huge. Yeah, I was just thinking, you're right. Like I can remember at Cedarville thinking like. I can't wait for this all to make sense logically where I can like, (laughs) right? Like where like I can have answers like these, these professors have that it all fits together because they made it seem like it all fit together naturally, logically. And and in my back back of my mind, I'd be like, I would be constantly like, this doesn't logically add up constantly. And I was like, and I just put it off. I was like, Oh, one day I guess I will be as enlightened and I'll get there and I'll figure out. And then over time, I learned no. They just had us memorize these these rhetorics, these facts, these the the systematic theology that actually doesn't make sense at all. And that there's a lot of illogic to it. Um, that's what I learned as I've gotten older. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the those systematic theologies and and those lines and all those things are intended to put away the the desire to question or doubt. Yeah. So yeah, ask the questions. I mean, asking the questions is is great learning. You know. And I, I think Kevin and I would both be willing to to be there for your questions if you have them. Um, ask online. Ask ask us in the DMs. Get on a call. Uh, whatever you need. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do a whole show about it. How's that? <laughs> whatever your questions are. We'll yeah, that's do, a good idea. Do, do an ask your podcast. questions. We'll take them and and try to answer them. You know, at the end of the day, uh, I can answer the questions for me, but 
we, we have to, you got to come to your own conclusions and your own answers. And I think that there is, this to me is one of, was one of the most life-giving realizations in uh, my faith was the understanding that I can come to a different conclusion than you and, and not necessarily be outside of the kingdom of God. You know, that, that we don't all have to be 100% in alignment on everything for, for us to be okay with God. And, and just getting to the point where I was able to be okay with you not thinking I'm okay was was a was a big step for me um we, we don't see in scripture uh, in the new testament you see arguments and disagreements you know the jerusalem council and the differences between peter and paul and um well know, when you read about Apollos the and, and you know uh, silas uh, uh, you know john mark with with paul <laughs> we're not it's it's okay yeah, I mean, the whole canonization process, books of the Bible were kept in in a negotiation over disagreements theologically. Like, Revelation was one of them. Like, it was kept in to make the, the, the uh, Eastern Church happy, right? And and now we read, and then the, the, uh, the re, so they, they kept Revelation in out of a negotiation of a theological thing. And their agreement was is that revelation would be only read in worship as like a call to worship as like a kind of a worship like a psalm like using it as like poetic and now we read revelation like it's the gospel truth of like what our future is going to become which is hilarious but yeah like even the way jesus taught like he taught in parables like he taught in such a way to elicit and create debate like, I don't think Jesus wanted us to have one pat answer for how um, we interpret his stories. Uh, it was like it was it was very Jewish of him. Right. Because like Jewish learning all came through debate, all came through discussion. I mean, if you go back, you can go back and read all the commentaries. Even before Jesus's day, there was constant debates in those commentaries. Um so yeah, I, I think we can fall in different lines just because we fall in different places doesn't mean someone's going to hell. <clears throat> um, and I think that's kind of where we started today when we were harping on is, is that whole idea of hate. And I, I think Jesus is very clear about that. Like we don't hate people. We love our neighbor. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You reform people. I know the verses, um, but I think you read them wrong. So all, all that I know is, um, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, if, if you're the most caustic individual um, in the room, your theology is probably wrong. You know, you hmm. probably missed the mark somewhere. I, I don't think Jesus was. I don't think Jesus was the most caustic, hate-filled person who was who was in the room uh, at, at any given moment, and unfortunately. For, for many theological streams, the goal the goal is is rightness and to make sure that everybody knows it at any cost. And anyone who disagrees is in immediate need of repentance, being called a wolf and labeled a heretic. And uh, I, I think apostate, apostate. There's there's another one. 
Um, I got a call to apostate this week. That was great. Yeah, well, and it, it, those those types of it, it creates fear in other people of asking questions uh, and and seeking truth. So we just accept what somebody else says is the truth rather than pursuing it ourselves. And uh, you, you see, yeah, you see this every day. Like like you said, people who are willing to mock others or condemn others um, who are within the kingdom of God. Um, whether you like it or not, Jesus says they're inside the kingdom of God. Uh, there is no scripture that says that somebody who uses personal pronouns, there is no scripture that says that somebody who is LGBTQI plus is outside of the kingdom of God. It's not there. Uh, you can only get there by building some sort of deck of cards, systematic theology uh, that, that crumbles yeah. On the pronoun question. thing the pronoun thing is fascinating to me because they would be adamant the anti pronoun people, they would be adamant that we use pronouns to define God. That it's that he is a he, right? That God is hey he him and not his or not her. She. That we call people by their actual gender. Yeah. Yeah, which it, I heard, I saw somebody ask, so does that mean that God has a penis? Like, you know, yeah. if if you are going to require exact you know, pronouns for everybody, then you're going to have to point to the scripture that says that God has a penis. If you're going to, if you're going to require God to be a he, you know, in in the personal pronoun department, rather than a they, as a Trinity, why aren't you using they? People would say, yeah, like I, I, that's just funny to me, but whenever we make our Christianity about secondary issues at best uh, in order to keep people out rather than draw people in, we are off. (laughs) We, We have lost the plot.